Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm S. Garlic and uh, very pleased to have back on broadcaster Krzysztof Wojniak. Um, we're going to be talking about the Monaco E. Prix, uh, which happened, and the Jakarta E. Prix, which is uh, coming up. Uh, Krzysztof, uh, lovely to have you back. Of course, we have ski jumping in the winter and in summer and earlier we have uh, Speedway. So I would say they are both in second place. Yeah, it's going to be a, a fantastic experience. Uh, there are also ideas to have electric speedway because, well, uh, we live in times that we live in. Hmm. Whether someone likes it or not, they are trying to put some electric motors. Of course, uh, a lot of fun bases against it because, well, the engines won't be doing vroom vroom. They will be doing vroom vroom. And they won't be able to smell fumes uh, from from the engines. So yeah, but, I've, you know, I, I've perhaps been listening to too many conservative podcasts recently. But you know, uh, <laughs> more more like more like speed woke. Am I right? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I I think you might up with that joke. You could easily get a job in I don't know GB News or what or some other. Stuff like this, like well, you know, you, you know, if, if if the if the whole Formula E thing fails, then uh, yeah, may, maybe maybe I'll just go to the husk, of, go to the burnt out husk of Fox instead. <laughs> well, let's hope though. Let, let's hope that Formula E stays with us for many many years. Then yeah, <laughs> no, never mind bikes with no brakes. How how about bikers with no protein? Am I right? Wink wink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! I think it's time to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just getting the, I'm just getting the points against in, so, so that we can get our defence in before it happens. It's, I'm, I'm kind of trying to minority report electric motorsport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, solving the crimes before they happen. Anyway, so, um, Nick Cassidy is on a stealth title charge. Uh. Everyone I spoke to, including me, for the first two or three rounds, thought, "Well, it's going to be Verline versus Dennis because who's going to who's going to either even be within a sniff of beating that Porsche uh, powertrain?" It swung around completely. Uh, it was Cassidy versus Evans in Monaco, and um, uh, again, it was a it was a it was a New Zealand first and second finish. And um, that Jaguar powertrain now looks pretty unstoppable, at least on um, Monaco, which is admittedly not a typical circuit. But you know, it did in Berlin as well. So, what's turned around? And um, are you surprised at how quickly things have gone south for Porsche uh, in in terms of both the works team and Andretti? Yeah, uh, starting from the bottom. Yeah, it's quite surprising that the Porsche is now performing the Porsche powertrain because it's not just the Takoi Porsche, it's also Avanche Andretti. They are performing so not poor, but they are not flexing their muscles like it was at the first three rounds. Meanwhile, Jaguar, that was also predicted after test days that they might be very competitive. They had a very slow start to the season. Of course, we won't mention Hyder, but in case of Jag. But still, from from the India, from the Indian round, they were getting better and better. And that's and one of the effects is that Nick Cassidy was fantastic in Berlin. He won in Monaco. 
but it's not just him. It's also Sebastian Buemi, who, okay, maybe some of his last races didn't work out as he wanted, but, well, he started from pole in Berlin. Uh, he was in the fight for a podium, so he has these performances very close to the podium, to the podium places, and as the season showed, you have to be sometimes a little bit lucky with the strategy and with your positioning on the circuit because uh, if you are somewhere close in the last five laps and it's a track that you can overtake and and there is also this war and slipstreaming is also working then you can do some some stuff but if it's two laps to go and it's a circuit like monaco well it's kind of problematic but yeah nick cassidy fantastic two races uh, is it surprising that the New Zealander uh, is in the lead? A little bit, as you mentioned, uh, especially when you consider how great start of the season had Pascal Verlein and Jake Dennis. But from the very beginning of Cassidy's career in Formula E, he showed that he is he is a very fast driver. He, won he only needed a right package. And so far, it seems that the Envision Racing and uh, the new, the powertrain is this right package with Jaguar. And it's also not surprising that Envision is performing better than the Vox team. Uh, they were doing the, something similar with Audi. With Audi, they were sometimes on pace of the factory team. They, sometimes they were even faster. When they worked with DS, they also performed uh, very, very well back in the Virgin days uh, of this team. So, so it's not like the it. So they know how to perform. They know how to set up the car. They know how to find something that maybe the original constructors of this powertrain couldn't find or couldn't find so far. So Cassidy is in the lead by twenty points. It's not safe. It's not safe margin by far because we have two races in no, Jakarta. No. We have one in uh, Portland that will be. Very interesting because it's a road course with some chicanes that I don't understand the purpose of it. Then we have Rome, two races, and London, two races. So we are we are at nine races out of sixteen. So it's still a very very long way to go, and it's entirely possible that the Porsche will be back, that the the latter circuits will be more suitable to the powertrain. Mm. It's possible that DS and um, and Penske will find the the this the things that they were lacking. The Jean Vague of course won in Hyderabad. Antonio Felix da Costa won in Cape Town. But it was just two races and then okay they were close to the, to the podium. Uh, Jeff got one in Berlin but it's not the performance that we show that we've seen from Porsche uh, or Jaguar. So, of course, if DS could be competitive, then the Maserati might be competitive. We've seen some fine performance, mostly from Eduardo Mortara, but also massive, massive amounts of bad luck. Mm. So, well, yeah. 
Is it though? And uh, we we will come back to that. Um, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that because Maserati is on our list of topics to talk about. But uh, yeah, it, as you say, Porsche might come back into it. And of, of course, Jake Dennis did finish third uh, in the Porsche powered Andretti at Monaco. Um, it, it did have a strong whiff of damage limitation about it, though. That that third place, uh, he he seemed pretty relieved to have to have finished third. And um, um, obviously, you know. That that Jaguar power unit uh, powertrain in the end um, had things sewn up in in terms of overall race pace. Um, the uh, pole sitter um, was something of a surprise. It was uh, it, it was it was JQ's in the Nissan powered McLaren. Uh, second place was Sasha Fenestras. Um, we, we'll talk about the Omni shambles that was qualifying in just a moment, but I, I do want to. Um, ask your view on uh, where Nissan have found this additional pace because there was discussion of a software update and I I think um, uh, I think we uh, we all suspected that Nissan had something had something else in the locker um, in spite of their slow start from the season just because uh, th- this this was the start of Nissan's full takeover of the uh, Edam's Nissan outfit and. Uh, um, failure and slowness essentially would would not have been tolerated for a long time by japan so i i think um for for the sake of the nissan um involvement in formula e um, everyone hoped for this and they've got it and uh, fenestras and nato uh, both looked utterly rapid throughout the practice sessions so We've got a situation now where Nissan's uh, speed advantage, which at least through Fenestras they held early on, is still there, uh, but is is even more so. And what they've got to do now is work out a race package so that they can actually uh, take advantage of regen and take advantage of um, a a longer uh, period of time and uh, try, try and keep those energy levels up because clearly the one lap pace is there, isn't it? Yeah, and it, this pace is fr- right from the start, especially when you look at JQs, who was very fast in qualifying in Mexico City, who won a pole in uh, the, fir- the the second race in Diria. He was also mighty quick in the first uh, of the qualifying sessions. So it's not like the one lap pace is so sudden because Sasha Fenestras was, I think, third. No, he was on pole position in Cape Town and was third... Uh, in qualifying in Hyderabad, if I remember correctly at this moment. So it's not like they changed so much in terms of this one lap pace. But uh, as you mentioned, the problem is still the race pace. And it's not something that is uncommon because, well, in the last years, we had Oliver Turvey that was regularly uh, fighting for, you know, top 10 positions in qualifying sessions. Uh, he was, I think, even on pole position in Mexico City once or twice. In a Nio, that was, that was, is, and no, well, maybe not this. It's getting better, but for many years it was just the back of the back uh, in terms of the grid. Hmm. But still, in qualifying, they could be fast, especially with with the right driver. So Formula E is a very complicated sport because. It's not just the fact that you have to build a fast car. You have to make this car efficient. And you don't have the help of aerodynamics like you have with, you know, your regular cars uh, in the market. 
you cannot change the shape of it. You have to work with this basic model and you have to find solutions in the power train. Maybe this is the case that Nissan is still exploring. As, as you mentioned, when they came, when they came replacing uh, Renault, they not, they decided not to simply take the, the French powertrain and just put a Japanese flag on it and be happy with it. They tried something bold uh, in form of double powertrain. Uh, it was banned and we've seen a regress in form of Nissan Edems, now Nissan. So it's hard to really pinpoint the exact reason why Nissan powertrains have this problem uh, with the with the region, with the efficiency, because it's not just Nissan Motorsport problem. This is also McLaren problem. So they have to find a solution. The the software update you mentioned is is a step forward, but is this just the case of you know few lines of code? I I'm worried that it might be something significant with the design structure of the, the whole unit. Mm. So there will be a, a long summer for Japanese engineers, but I still believe that they have potential. You know, we are talking about a very successful team. Uh, um, and of course, over the years, it became the, the influence of Jean-Paul Drouillot and Dams basically evaporated. But these are the people that know how to make winning engines and winning powertrains. They know how to make the, this car work, but this electric car work. Yeah. Because they also have massive experience in the road, uh, road car uh, field. Well, I, so I, I, mm -hmm. I I had joked after um, after the uh, first round of qualifying that uh, it, it seemed as though Nissan had um, uh, unretired their their now illegal twin motor Gen Two powertrain, but <laughs> that's probably wrong. Actually, the other thing that stuck out to me was uh, that um, experience doesn't seem to be as much of a plus point in Formula E this season. Um, maybe it's due to the Gen Three switch, but interesting um interesting uh teammate combinations have come out in terms of who is on top i mean um if you looked at nissan at the start of the season yes you probably would have put sasha fenestras ahead on pace because uh look at his performances over the years uh, in japan but you know norman natto um has driven for several formula e i think he's driven for three formula e teams either as a race or a test driver and um, he's a he's a race winner. He was race winner with Vanturi in um, um, in uh, uh, two two seasons ago. Um, and then um, you you look at uh, McLaren, and yes, I mean Jake Hughes clearly someone who did well in Formula Two and deserved the chance. Um, but you would have put Rene Rast ahead of him, or I would have done at least, uh, particularly given his stellar performances, I would say, uh, in his one season of, uh, his one full season of Gen 2 with Audi, when he was generally the faster driver compared to Lucas Degrassi, who'd been there for much longer. So there's all of these combinations where uh, the driver you don't expect is coming out on top. So I, I did think it was incumbency, but then Rast and Hughes are both new at McLaren, so that's not the case. Um, you could say Cassidy has has been at Envision for one more season now than Buemi, um, but I, I don't think that's as much of a surprise, frankly. Uh, Buemi 
still has the consistency and the race nose to do well, but uh, you, you, you would say Cassidy would be ahead on pace. But what about the others? Uh, so what's happening between Hughes and Rast, for example, at McLaren? To be honest, I would like to counter your your argument because, well, on paper, you, you would assume that Rust would dominate Hughes. That I, I wouldn't say he had stellar performance in FIA 3. Uh, and the same goes with the Fenestras and Nato. Yeah, Fenestras on paper, way better driver than Norman Nato. But Norman Nato had an experience of running the Formula E for a season. He had some previous experiences during races, testing, etc., etc. Meanwhile, Sasha Fenestras did, of course, the preseason testing and one rookie, uh, one rookie test day. So it's basically nothing. And we all know how hard Formula E is for the rookies. You could all, you could go that, haha, that means that Jake Hughes should struggle. But the reason that McLaren picked him was that he was a very influential part of the Mercedes EQ team and that we you know met, they rebranded to McLaren uh, to uh, to remind you all uh, that uh, that are listening so he was very established in the team he knew the procedures he spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours in the simulator i would imagine that he did many races of course in front of the screen but also trying to work on uh, on the pace, on region, uh, on efficiency, and all the stuff that you need as a Formula E driver. But but yeah, he had that experience in the back. Rust was a little bit behind. Of course, he had that fantastic season with Audi, but still, it was a, a one-year gap. So it wasn't as cut and clear as people would assume. And of course... The, the very important factor is that this is a new team. It, uh, what is what the hell? New car, completely new car that drives differently. As we've seen in many, many races, it, it needs different style of driving. So this inexperience of driving a real thing for Jake might be uh, might be helpful. The same goes with, with Sasha. So it wasn't, at least for me, as cut as clear uh, that one will dominate and the other will not. They had good pace, and honestly, I was really impressed by Jake Hughes, uh, especially at the start of the season. Now it's not looking as great as it was because of Nissan general powertrain issues. But as I once mentioned in the previous question, Sasha Fenestras, right from the start, fantastic one lap pace, but he was also very quick to lose the energy. So... You could see him around top five, uh, especially in Hyderabad and Cape Town. But then slowly, 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 it goes down, 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 and down. More down than Nato. Uh, also, I I, uh, I remembered myself that it's not like it's not new for Nissan to have uh, problems with energy. I think you remember the one Mexico race. I think it was two thousand nineteen. The one race where on the last laps they were over, uh, yeah. Wemi and Roland were overtaken left and right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should take a moment to uh, look back at qualifying and just look back at um, the, the fact that every year Formula E has in it, and I've said this several times before, has in it a perfect storm of 
awfulness of incidents which which combine to make this make the category look a bit farcical and in qualifying we had um 12 i think 12 drivers being uh, either penalized or investigated for various uh, infractions and um and um, sporting infringements um one one of them actually twice um and uh, and then in the final of the duels we had uh, both drivers having their uh, lap times deleted in the end um um, um, in in Fenestraz's case, for a power surge, uh, for uh, overuse, um, uh, for for use of more than the three hundred and fifty kilowatts all- allotted, and in the case of Hughes, it was track limits. So, I think um, the ideal would be pure, purely in the interest of fairness and in the interest of um, um, fan enjoyment. If if we're going to have a duels format, which I think has worked pretty well in the last couple of seasons. Then, what would help it, and what I think would uh, would help the enjoyment uh, from the spectator end, is if you have two drivers in the final who have obviously got their own merit um, through being the fastest through the quarter and semi. Then, if neither of them produce a lap which is uh, according to the sporting regulations. I would relegate them to the place they would have been with their best time from the opening rounds uh, on the grid. And then I would give the place to the fastest semi-finalist. I don't know why that's so difficult, but maybe I'm living in cloud cuckoo land and don't understand the sporting regs properly. Um, Maybe you've got a different view on this. It's, It's a very hard question, to be honest, to find a perfect solution, because... On one hand, as you said, the, uh, the the one of the very important ideas is the fact that if for someone qualified on merit, then they should be able to fight for the pole position. And if someone didn't do, do it on merit, then maybe someone else should be starting from this first position. But it's also the case that you have to penalize someone if something was wrong. And... The most perfect solution would be to to just stop after the duel and to look if everything was fine, everything was perfect, if you know the power usage was in the limit, if there wasn't any track limits violation, etc., etc., if the drivers were uh, overalls all the time, blah 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 blah. But that would make the show longer because that would take time to check everything that you know is legal and won't, won't will not inc- uh, inf- interfere in the proceedings but that's the risk of this format that uh, if you are doing a very short one versus one one lap battles if you disqualify one lap well that's the whole effort gone so i i really don't know what would be the best scenario for this situation for sure, the fact that we have penalties is is an ugly but needed situation, uh, especially when you consider that there are some disciplines that you are pen- penalized financially by points, but the results are still in. Uh, I'm looking at you, America, especially NASCAR. For years, it was just notorious that they found an illegal car, a car that was 
not uh, up to spec, not up to regulations. Something was wrong. This car won. Everybody could see it. But the win is a win. And the argument was, well, very fan friendly, to be honest, because the idea was for years, for decades, that if the if the fans on the grandstand watched a race, watched a car go to the check, take a checkered line uh, flag, go to the victory lane, did burnouts, whatever, whatever, they should believe that this car won, and they shouldn't be surprised when they are riding home for five hours and just turning on the radio station to say this driver didn't win. So that was the idea. So every single time the, the penalty was that they were taking points, they were taking some fines, they were suspending crew chiefs or whatever. They are still doing that, but now you can lose your win, uh, basically. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, as I said, it's a complicated story. Formula E is complicated. And this is very true from the very beginning. The penalties are weird. And some might think, oh my gosh, but why do, do you penalize for just one 0.1 kilowatt uh, more energy used than they should? Or the, the spike in, uh, in the power, uh, as it's very common on some bumpy tracks. Because, well, if you allow something, the teams will know this. Yeah. And they will try to push more and more. Because if 0.1 is fine, well, maybe 0.2 is fine. Maybe 0.3 is fine. Maybe 0.4 is fine, etc., etc., etc. And they will always try to find a solution. But oh no, but it's so, so small margin, especially to the previous limit that we raised five races ago because someone complained that the limit was so low and, and that the situation was very close to the limit, etc. In, indeed. And uh, teams do exploit this kind of thing. Um... Vaguely connected, I remember in season five, so a long time ago now, um, um, McLaren Advanced Technologies, who at the time uh, administered the uh, the batteries in Formula E uh, for the Gen 2 car, um, announced that they were investigating, I think, two of the teams who they said had uh, manually altered the spec battery software. So um, th there is all kinds of skullduggery going on behind the scenes to try and make sure that you've got the uh, fastest overall package. And um, yes, the the huge, huge, vast majority, you know, 99.9%, .9 whatever, of, of these accidental um, uh, power surges are completely accidental. But you're right, the reason these rules are enforced is because they have to be, because one day it might not be an accidental power surge and if it's not enforced then formula e becomes slightly less fair um motorsport can never be completely fair of course but i think formula e gets it better than most in terms of making it a relatively level playing field that's that's why neo 333 on um less than a tenth of the budget of the biggest teams can do incredibly well for example Yes, you are absolutely right. Uh, as I said, we had some some teams that were on the back foot for a long time, looking at you, Neo. But still, it's way more competitive uh, than you know Formula One, uh, even World Endurance Championship at this moment in time. We have the cars that look identical, but underneath they are very, very different to each other. 
So you have this element of, of the construction of the technology of the innovation that you have to conquer in a way. You have to find solutions that are better than others, but still the, 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 the option, the, the window for changes to the car is relatively small. So you have a ready package and you have, let's say 30% of it that you can change. It's the most important part, of course, powertrain, but still it's, you don't have to worry about your aerodynamics. You don't have to worry about, you know, brakes, etc. So that leaves the, the gap, the, the potential for a gap to widen between the teams to get smaller because, well, it's like, it's smaller number of things that you can mess up basically. So as I said, yeah, Formula E right from the get go was a very level playing field. Of course, we had periods of domination, uh, especially with Renault in the first seasons after season one, but this season is also a fantastic showcase of the thing that we are saying. As we, we mentioned that at the start, Porsche was mighty. Porsche was seemingly unstoppable, uh, especially Pascal Verlaine and Jake Dennis because their teammates had problems. Then Jaguar fantastically rose the power. In the meantime, DS won two races in a row. So most of the competitors, basically all except unfortunately Neo and Mahindra uh, and Mahindra teams, can realistically think that well maybe we can win. If not this time, then maybe next time. Maybe the next track layout, the next track surface, the next bumpiness will suit us more. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what? One driver who did well in um, Monaco uh, throughout the race weekend, and indeed finished in sixth place. Um, it, it was it was another um, excellent performance throughout most of the race for uh, the man who uh, is is now known by Jake Dennis as that plonker uh, Dan Tictum. Um, but a bit like uh, a sort of motorsport version of the comedian John Mulaney. He keeps pulling out these improving performances every time you see him, but my God, he's difficult to like sometimes. Um, he uh, chopped across the nose of Max Gunter's Maserati when Gunter had pulled out to pass him on the way up Beau Rivage, um, when when Gunter was already too close to chop across. And um, I, I understand that motorsport is a game of margins, and I understand that. Uh, um, these things could easily happen to anyone else, and indeed they have mostly been happening to the Maserati drivers. But uh, and and they and quite a lot of those incidents have been the fault of the Maserati drivers. But on this occasion, it was it was yet another time where we could say Tictum was uh, at least seventy percent of the scales on fault. Um, I, I think we could say seventy thirty. Um, Following on from him basically running into the back of Dennis, um, having got the break, breaking point wrong in Berlin, um, it, it's 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 another instant that uh, Tictum has uh, come out of looking worse. Although on this occasion he actually escaped with points. Um, what what do you, what do you make of Dan Tictum's curious curate egg of a season so far? It's. Uh... It's an interesting story, to be honest, uh, because, yeah, Dan Tictum is not on, uh, on the best streak, streak to, be, to be honest. As you mentioned, Berlin and this 
absolutely stupid and horrendous and idiotic crash with Stoffel van Dorn this weekend. Another, oh yeah, that too. Another case of, you know, just something that in most of the racing leagues, especially on maybe lower lower level, on the on the level level on the lower level might get you even banned i would i would say crashing into i'm not saying of course the the first crash the first contact with gunter was also a little bit brainless to to say the least but his next move he he removing the front wing that was damaged by hitting another car under the caution under the safety car it's it's dangerous first and foremost it's dangerous to to other drivers because well you don't expect that you might lose control driving you know 30 30 miles per hour let's say during the formula e safety car you don't expect to get hit especially in this situation and well he then he was very open about it. He just decided that he will hit another car. And one of the comments that really, really resonated with me was the one that said, well, if he would be in the first place with this front wing, front wing would he hit a safety car? Because, well, in this logic, why not? And it's also another egg to the basket of the race control. They should, uh, they should be giving him a midball very soon. And especially when you consider that in Formula One, the FIA and the race director is very keen on the front wings that are having not loose but moving parts that shouldn't be moving. They are saying, okay, it's dangerous. This part might come off in any second and it will be very it's carbon so it might hit if someone hits it can just damage the wheel uh the tire etc etc in this case well you can you can race with a front wing that is barely hanging on the car it shouldn't be it shouldn't be happening of course as we've seen with the pace it wasn't as big of a problem as it would be in any other category but still it shouldn't be allowed uh, because it's dangerous this front wing could just uh, fall down at full speed and well it could damage someone's race so partially i would say the blame is also on the race director unfortunately but still what what dan tictum is doing uh, in recent weeks and and basically from the start because it's not just the fact that he crashes into other people. He has this ego that he all that he always had. Like I remember some interviews with him saying that he's the best driver on the grid. You, you, like you, so, you so you don't think the edges on the ego have been shaved off a bit because you you know. I've I've heard some interviews like I I actually thought he was um it, by the way it wasn't Berlin of course the Dennis incident but um his his remarks after that seemed 
quite contrite, actually. And um, uh, he, he pretty much said, um, yeah, if I see him, I'll apologise because it was completely on me. Uh, I, that's not the kind of thing he would have said, uh, e- even if it was that much uh, um, his fault previously. So um, I, I, think, I think we're seeing some maturing in the person, but I think we are still seeing those red mist incidents happening on track. Um, it sounds like you disagree, though. Yeah, uh, well, you said that he sounds more mature uh, in the interviews. The thing is, I don't see this maturity, this respect to other drivers on the track. Ah, right. Yeah, you can Mm. say whatever you want, but if you just close the door on someone that is basically uh, in touch with your wheels, back wheels, well, it's it's not. You, you can say whatever you want. You can pretend to be the saint. You can pretend to love each other and be the most respectful guy in the world. You can help millions of people, but if you are during a racing doing the moves that Dan Tictum is moving is doing, well, it's it shouldn't be a surprise that people are putting the first letter from your name as the first letter of your surname well, to make it sound yeah, funny. Yeah. With 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 all that said, um there 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 has been a recurring trope of um who, whoever the best driver has been in Formula 1 at any given time getting away with some pretty shocking stuff uh maybe lewis hamilton except no actually lewis hamilton not accepted um uh, and and um we're seeing this with with max verstappen right now um there there are things that max verstappen does and never apologizes for that um nobody else would get away with but i think the the difference is that because ayrton senna and michael schumacher and lewis hamilton and max verstappen were the uh by far the best drivers of their eras respectively um it actually didn't matter whereas um i it it's almost as though there can only be one person in motorsport at any particular time that 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 holds the ego crown if you know what i mean to be honest i would say that it's not just the case that it's an ego thing uh people are criticizing max verstappen you know that we all know that, but his incidents, of course, he is a very hot racer. Max, if there is a space to attack, he will do it. The differences between Max and between Ayrton and his driving style that was also very disrespectful, to say the least, to other drivers, was the fact that, okay, they will push you out of the bounds. They will force you to, to give position. Dan Tictum isn't forcing anyone, usually. He just crashes into them. As you said, Jake Dennis, later, Van Dorn, now, Gunther. It's not an accident if it happens every time. It's not just a case of, I don't know, bad weekend. It's not the case that, oh, uh, I simply didn't look into my mirrors sorry 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 if something happens that often and in very similar way well it's not an accident this is driving style of dan tictum we Mm. know that he is 
a very hot in terms of how his brain works. Uh, hot headed, hot headed kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He, we all know how his career, let's say, started and by what accident and what happened afterwards. We we know what he was saying after the European Championship of Formula Three. We know that he, even back then, was a very aggressive driver. We heard stories of him uh, from Japan. We, we've seen him race in Formula 2. Now, in this level, maybe this is the case that every single driver has to, you know, attack to be aggressive, to, you know, to, to force his way. But there is a difference between, you know, sticking your wheels together in a turn and just making yourself making a little bit more space for yourself than by sending someone to to the wall or by destroying the front ring or trying to destroy a front ring in in general we are not racing you know stock cars we are not racing touring cars you have to think about the cars as well uh, it's not the same as it was with gen 2 you know the the cars were designed also to be less touchy uh, mm. in terms of what you can do with them so to to say to the driver as well it's not as robust as it was before so if you will hit someone well be prepared for consequences mm. but still we've seen drivers that are quite hard to pass quite hard to overtake and uh, some people that are like Dan Tickton well yes um, uh, but perhaps perhaps the uh perhaps the analog for the incident um in uh, formula 1 would would be the Lance Stroll chop across on Fernando Alonso in uh, in the in, in America last season um it, it it did feel like a very similar incident in terms of the way the cars moved uh but uh Tickton finished sixth anyway and uh, um some some more good points for Neo 333 um who really have stepped up to the plate with the package this season um Got to talk a bit about uh, the bad luck, or is it, of Maserati MSG Racing. Um, essentially a similar team to the Venturi team, which did so well over a number of seasons, especially last season where Eduardo Mortara challenged for the title right up until London. Um, this season, at, at least from the point of view of myself, I'm a Liverpool fan, um, it feels a bit like Liverpool's season in terms of Last season, uh, they were in the hunt for all four trophies until the end and uh, finished up with um, the two that they probably felt were the most minor, uh, missing out on a Champions League final. Um, th- this this season, they've, uh, they've been nowhere. And I feel like... Uh, there, there, do, there does seem to be a certain deflation from missing out on the title, but more than that, they just, they just don't seem to... Uh, Mortara and... Max Gunter, they they don't seem to be able to string together a decent series of race results. Uh, Mortara has five points for the season at the moment. Uh, Max Gunter has 21 points for the season, but they were all gained in uh, two consecutive points finish races. And um, Gunter obviously had the Tictum incident for which he was essentially blameless, except for trying to overtake. <laughs> Make of that yeah. what you will. Um, but Mortara again surrendered decent points after an incident which was at best 50-50 um but, but and 
Edo has a history, as much as I like him, of um, getting involved in either low percentage manoeuvres or manoeuvres he doesn't need to be involved in and missing out on points. And it just feels like they have strung together this season. Um, y- you could say it's bad luck for Maserati. Yeah, it's it's surprise for sure the, to see Maserati struggling so much. Uh, a team basically Aventuri, but with different name this season. And when you when you sent me this topic, I was thinking how to how to possibly explain this situation. Of course, the the first thing that might come to mind is the 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 structural change. We uh, the team lost Sozy Wolf and Drum D'Ambrosio that was behind the success of of Venturi for all those years. I but... think they I think they lost Delphine the team manager who was also a um, a, yeah. a, great, a great cog as well. Yes, yes, yes. So it uh, they lost a lot of people but on the other hand they got James Rossiter who was maybe not running but was very much involved in the process of uh running uh, at DS Techita then team but he was just a representative of DS there. And now he is sort of a representative of GS there because, well, Maserati powertrains is just uh, is just the DS powertrain, but with Italian name on it. So, yeah, it's surprising, but I wouldn't put it just on the fact that, well, Susie is gone. I think the reason it might be the fact that, you know, the DS powertrain, the DS Maserati powertrain isn't that competitive. Uh, yes, Jean-Luc Vergne and was able to, to fight for the wins. Uh, Stoffel van Don, uh, not so far. Yeah, uh, I said that they won two races. Uh, I forgot that Antonio Felix da Costa is in Porsche. So sorry but for the... that moment in, in the in the past. If you were screaming at me, I'm, I I do I do apologize. Yeah. But still, so, sorry to interrupt. But like they are getting into points, paying positions. But then almost always there will be an incident with another car. Um, and and it's I I understand that in Formula E it's really not as simple as saying you know prioritize consistency, stay out of, stay out of instance because you you can't because you're on a street circuit and if they happen they happen. But they always seem to happen to the Maseratis. And um, again, I I wonder if maybe there is a case of trying too hard there sometimes for both of the drivers. It might be, especially with Ginter, that in his Formula E career was for a long time either win, either fight for a good position, or bin it. Uh, that was the case with BMW, especially. And, you know, the, his stint in Dragon Racing, well, that was very much filled with the uncertainty if he's going to race uh, in the next rounds. So, yeah, it might be the case that he wants too much, but Eduardo is simply unlucky. When you see so many retirements, so many times he had to to come to the pit lane, even if it was to, to change the wing. It's, it, it happens from time to time. Of course, you could trying to find a reasoning like, oh my gosh, he, he got the nomen or curse or whatever. He was just unlucky. Most of the times he qualifies in the middle of the field. And in every single spot that is competitive, middle of the field is the worst place because you have other drivers that 
are also trying to find their way into the front. Maserati has space. We've seen that. When the conditions are fine, are reasonably well within the limits, they they can fight, but they also have to have luck on the side. It's important, especially in car racing. And from time to time, it was missing. I believe that they this might change. I hope that this will change. But as I said in one of the previous questions, it's still a long way to go. We have still seven races. Nearly half of the season is, uh, is to be played. So it's entirely possible that if DS and Maserati find a way, maybe Penske with the MSG racing will find a solution to this problem. Maybe we'll see a string of Mortara wins. Maybe Gunther will somehow come close to the podium. Maybe we'll see again Jeff winning. Uh, or maybe Stoffel van Dorn will be finally on the first place. It's a long season to go and it's impossible. It's impossible to predict at this moment in time who will be the world champion. At this moment, it looks like Nick Cassidy. But it might be Pascal Verlein. It might be Jake Dennis. It's um, it's really amazing. And sometimes um, I might be lacking in good words to describe it. But that's the case of Formula E. It's um, it's many times hard to describe. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, it, it it is a roller coaster that uh, can can ca- can catch you going up or going down. Um, but by the way, as 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 much as this season is a disaster, particularly for Edo Mortara, but um, you know more widely for the uh, Maserati MSG team. But both of those drivers will be fine. You know, um, I, I think Formula E is widely accepted as, as having pound for pound the greatest um, spread of talent on, on a grid right now. And um, I, I think either of those drivers would be an absolute shoe-in for any of the factory hypercar teams currently taking part in the in the Boomtime sports car um, um, uh, series, uh, either WEC or IMSA. But uh, we'll, we'll see. And things might turn around um, and things, things might look a lot rosier for Maserati after the last few races. Um, like, like you said, we never know, and they they might uh, get uh, some of some of the luck in qualifying that uh, that DS Penske got at the uh, in the early part of the season. So, what are your thoughts on the Jakarta circuit? Um, I I watched the race last season. It it feels like the Formula E circuits that produce the best racing are the ones which are ironically perhaps not originally purpose designed for formula e uh, i i don't know what your view is there i i just i feel like formula e works best when it is in a place where it's it's having to adapt an existing arena that was once used for another purpose as i say tempelhof being an example of that uh, the Jakarta circuit was purpose built specifically for Formula E. I, I just don't I just don't see it having the same character. And um none of the drivers seem to particularly enjoy Jakarta as much as they understand Formula E's mission to try and well catch what is an absolutely enormous uh, market over in Indonesia. The last race was quite okay, I, w- I would say. 
Of course, the, the really important thing that we have to mention is that the style of racing in Gen 3 is way, way more different than the style of racing that you have uh, yeah, that you had in Gen 2 times. So I would expect the, the wider corners and the wider streets of the Jakarta circuit, or not streets, straights, to be precise, might suit this car more than it was last season. Of course, as you said, it's a purpose-built circuit, so they had a design freedom to do it. They, they, I think they created a very interesting combination of long turns, but also faster sections. Uh, honestly, just by the looks of it, I prefer it more to, to Berlin at Tempelhof. I don't I I don't really know. I don't really know how this will pan out. I think this will be a circuit that will be allowing for more fighting because of how wide it is. Uh, I think the the biggest reason why, why some of the races were interesting more than the others was the very simple fact that you could come in packs like like Tempelhof racing. It was just super speedway on a road course because you had drivers very close to each other. And of course, in a big way, it was because the leader wasn't, didn't want it to be a leader. So he was looking for anyone to, be, to overtake him. And that's why the situation was looking uh, as crazy as it was. So I think Jakarta will be a little bit more of Berlin than Monaco. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting case, interesting circuit and Honestly, I think it's better than the initial proposal uh, to race in Jakarta uh, for various reasons. Also, because it's not it's in more well safer place to 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 say that for safer for the future uh, yeah. on the circuit, and it, it won't get people annoyed because well, the the idea of street racing is to either make them in places that no one will bother or no one or to be honest no one will say otherwise like in some countries in the middle east where or in you know azerbaijan whatever or to make it that way or to make it in place that will annoy people and well get ready for protests but mm. park is an, an amazing example because on paper it looked like well the best possible solution you are racing in a park and you are still racing in london and not just you know the the very far district that the underground isn't even going like in new york oh no i'm sorry in new, in new york it's not that bad in new york but still it's it's far away from the the most glamorous parts of the city in London, it was near Battersea Power Station. It was quite close to the city center. And you you didn't have to close any of the streets. And imagine trying to close a street in London for mm. two weeks, let alone one, and then at, at least four more to have a circuit. So... Well, yeah, yeah. And, and um, that, that's probably why they've chosen um, in, in Jakarta that, that that particular area. Of, I, I think it's Parkland, isn't it? Um, yes. Be, be, because uh, specifically no roads have to be closed. It, it is 
effectively um, in in ev- everything but the but semantics a permanent circuit. So uh, it, it it works well from from a logistical point of view, doesn't it? And also Indonesia is the world's third largest country. It's it's also a massive motorsport market that doesn't bizarrely have uh, a global motorsport event except for Formula E's E Prix. And um, it's it's got um, a um, population which, at least in part, speaks Dutch. So there, therefore, you've you've got that collision of interest, which uh, which which should make it make it ripe for any formula going in there. Um, I I would have thought so. Yeah, th- there was a lot of interest around the Epre last season. I I th- um I would hope they would they would keep going back there because. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity to grow in a nation which, you know, isn't just a smaller niche nation, but is an enormous nation with enormous potential for um, building interest in Formula E, which is still, still above all, a young category. With, with what you said, two, two things. First of all, Indonesia is a massive market, yes, but mostly for motorcycles. Most of the people go by scooters, by motorbikes, uh, also because they are cheaper. Let's not pretend that Indonesia is one of the richest countries in the world, quite otherwise. Of course, we we know the beaches, we know how beautiful Bali is and whatever, and all the touristic regions, but most of the people, well, they, they have a, they might not afford a car. So to show them an electric ones and to try to promote them, well, it might not work on as many people as some might think because, well, we all know that still in this moment in time, electric cars in general are more expensive than the, you know, uh, fossil fuel ones, uh, equivalents. And the other thing is because how motorcycle uh, motorcycles are popular, we have a MotoGP there. We have a beautiful Mandalika circuit built in a very controversial way to to say the least i i don't want to go into the details because it's a long and convoluted story i will just mention that there were still people living inside the circuit's parameters when the first events were going on there and Mm. it was a massive massive hit because as we said yes indonesia is a massive market that is interested in this time time uh, in this thing but it's all—it's a massive market for MotoGP, not necessarily for car racing. And it's not just the case that they decided to race the last season and yeah, and it goes. For years, many, many teams were making the livery, the, the bike presentations in Jakarta, in Indonesia, despite the fact that there wasn't a race there. Yes, there was a race in uh, Malaysia, in Sepang, and still is. But... That, that didn't matter to the teams because they knew that even if they will s- just send their drivers to, to Indonesia just to sign autographs or whatever, it will be e- really interesting because this is a country that is more motorcycling than car riding, to, to say the least. So it's a good thing that the last year's event was popular. Let's hope that this, keep will, this trend will continue. Especially because, well, it's cool. It's cool thing. It's cool thing to have Formula E race in your country. Uh, so, I think people will go. People will support the event. But yeah, 
we have to remember that Southeast Asia is more of a bikes country territory than the cars. Yeah, um, but uh, we, we have we have a while to go until Jakarta. It's uh, uh, taking place on the third and fourth of June. It's it's a double header, and you know double headers um, a, a two edged sword. But I I think in this case it's uh, it's really going to um, a- allow people to. Uh, um, it, it's going to allow the publicity to soak in. It's going to allow people to really. Um, get to know the racing and enjoy it i i sometimes feel when formula e breezes in and out of a city it sometimes doesn't give long enough for the city to actually get used to it but uh, that certainly won't be the case this time and um, of course it's uh, it's it's another place with uh, an um, upside down polish flag so you must you must be proud <laughs> in that way yeah <laughs> yeah it's good it's a little bit funny that we had monaco and then indonesia <laughs> Definitely. Uh, two very different places with almost exactly the same flag. Anyway, Krzysztof, um, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat to you and um, I uh, wish you the best with uh, all of the stuff you're um, you're getting up to. Um, um, so what, what are your plans for the weeks between uh, Monaco and Jakarta? Obviously, you're busy all the time, but what are you up to? Uh, first of all, thank you, thank you so much for the kind words. And well, otherwise, all the be- all the best to you. To be honest, it's going to be a very busy period uh, for me because in my walk at Motowizja TV station that I recommend watching to anyone that is from Poland <laughs> is listening. Well, this weekend we have Rally Portugal, uh, and I'm commentating on the the first loop of the stages tomorrow. So. Well, I have to go to to sleep and just rest be, uh, be before the the stage starts uh, tomorrow. Then next week we have the most important car related uh, uh, event uh, in the year, Rally Poland, round of European Championship. Then we have uh, a weekend, uh, a slow weekend with a break, uh, but uh, it's 27th, 28th of May. So yeah, so it's the weekend of uh, you know Holy Trinity. Monaco Grand Prix, Indianapolis 500, uh, Coke, uh, Coca-Cola 600 in NASCAR. Mm. And also it's uh, 24 hours of Nürburgring, so it's just busy, busy, busy. Then uh, Rally uh, Sardinia, uh, the next round of WRC. And also at the same weekend, the first round of the World Rally Cross Championship, electric one. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe one day we'll talk about it as well, because it's, uh, I would say it's quite a fun series to watch. So. I also recommend if you want something electric to to see mm-hmm. that isn't just Formula E, then just uh, either go to Montalegre, it, it's in a very beautiful part of the Portugal, uh, or just watch it uh, in your local TV station or in Motovizia if you are watch if you are listening from Poland. Then another week of break, then another weekend of rallying and rallycross. Yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff to do. It's a lot of stuff to commentate. And yeah, I cannot wait for for the last weekend of July, where I hope to to see you and to see some yeah. other people in London. Yeah, um, I, I'm 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 kind of um, on the fence about London. Um, it's uh, 
it's 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 going to be a summer of traveling for me generally and um it will be uh an an expensive trip to um, to there to there from where i am but uh, uh if if i if i do make it there then i will see you there i i also uh, um do plan to do some coverage of electric rally rally cross this season because rally cross is so, is so much fun it's, yes. it's it's great it's great yes. um it, it's 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 the closest the closest real motorsport gets to forza motorsport i love it um <laughs> But uh, Krzysztof Wozniak, uh, thank you so much. Uh, you can find Motion E by going to uh, twitter.com forward slash Motion E org um, or um, you can find Motion E on Mastodon, uh, mastodon.social slash uh, at Motion E. Uh, you can also, if you look at the top of the Twitter, the pin post, find the Discord server where all of the fun and controversy and sometimes libelous banter happens during the race. Um, thank you for listening to the Motion E podcast. And if anyone wants to get in contact, my email address is motione.org at gmail.com. I've been S. Garlic, and we will be back very, very soon. Uh, goodbye for now. Bye.